By the way, there are some books here that are from some of our pioneer authors that are really powerful. There's one by A.T. Jones on evolution or creation, but it has a little twist in there. It goes deeper than you expect. Evolution or creation. It's a sermon he preached back in the 1890s. Very good message. A sermon that was written down. And then W.W. Uh, Prescott, The Word Made Flesh. Uh, this is a brilliant sermon, a revival sermon preached in Australia. The messenger of the Lord was there and said she believed the Holy Spirit was poured out in a special way in these messages. And she was elated by the message that was in these. So the Word Made Flesh. These are free. So, thanks. Yeah, probably put them back there would be better. And uh, you're free to take them. There's not that many, but, uh, you know, uh, if you really want more, I've got more of them. So. All right, if we could uh, settle back down, and uh, I'll try to cover the actual subject in this last one that I intended to. I only got like quarter way through the other two. This is a big subject, but I think the information itself is self-explanatory, even if we don't cover all of it. I really enjoyed Andrew's testimony, Anthony's testimony. So just a few years ago, as, as we're settling back in, I'll give you a short testimony. My life, I had been an actual pastor for a few years, went back to Ireland where I'm from uh, as a mission pastor, uh, went through a pretty rough divorce. My wife left me when I was working, actually came back here in ministry and she left me. And um, to make a long story short, out of probably some lingering bitterness that I didn't admit and other problems that I had, I started to backslide. And as a visual person, as an artist, I was always very interested in dramatics and the media, the visual, you know. And so I started to slide back into watching stuff that I'd given up and not wanted to watch while I was strong in the Lord. And uh, however, this time the Lord had led me to, to uh, a wife that I didn't deserve. And I started to destroy that family by my compromise. And my little five-year-old boy one time prayed for me. We were praying together as a family. And he said, Lord, please help Daddy to stop watching bad things. And, you know, all the arguments I'd had for my wife, I could, I could intellectually argue around the tree. You know, I had all these reasons why I watched it because I was informing myself of how to relate to people in the world. That's one of the arguments you'll read in some of the literature put out about why Christians should watch trash so they can relate to others, you know. It's, that's a false concept right there. That would be like saying to Eve, Eve, you need to go talk to Satan at the tree so you can figure out what he's about so you can go help somebody else. Would that have been a good idea? Not at all. But Satan would have thought it was a good idea. Anyway, my little boy prayed for me, and all of a sudden, all of my intellectual arguments were leveled. And I knew that what he saw was the truth. He saw his daddy, who was supposed to be the priest of the family, desecrating himself, watching things, that were contrary to God's will and his law. And he was worried. And, you know, the Holy Spirit used that prayer. And uh, I realized I was out of control. I didn't, <laughs> I had denied the fact that I was out of control, but I saw that those things were not glory. They were an insult to the Holy Spirit that I was watching. No matter what argument I used, they were an insult to the Holy Spirit. And God wanted me to consecrate my eyes like David and say, I will not, I will keep my eyes from beholding evil, you know, as entertainment. I mean, think about the beings watching evil entertainment for entertainment. What does that say about the nature of us? Why would you want to be entertained by evil? You know, that's not where we learn truth uh, in the media. So anyway, uh, I mean, in the, in the commercial entertainment media, um, I think we should try to find a presence there ourselves with the message of God. But uh, we need to not be going there to entertain people, but to save the soul of people by having the truth in there. Anyway, that changed my life. I got down on my knees and I just prayed to the Lord. And so right now, I'm going to go ahead and sing a prayer song again. For those of you that weren't here earlier, I like to, when I come to the Lord in, in the morning, to open up prayer with him by singing. And uh, you know that God will sing to us one day. Amen. Wouldn't that be amazing? All the angels will quiet down and all the beautiful sounds of heaven will quiet down. And be, I believe there will be a pause of silence and then we'll hear 
maybe first a still small voice singing his love to us. And I believe it'll, we'll become enraptured by it. It, it would be so beautiful. Um, but anyway, uh, we should sing to our Father, sing of our love to him, and, and thanks. Like that great song, Great and Marvelous Are Thy Works, Lord God Almighty. I invite you to kneel with me, and please close your eyes. And this is actually a prayer. But what I'm going to sing is a very solemn message <clears throat> that's in Scripture that applies more to us today than it has ever before. Precious Father, we ask you, Lord, to be with us as we study this great subject of your glory, of yielding to that glory that you have called mankind to yield to. We ask for your consecration, your spirit to be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The, uh, the book of Joel goes on to say, sanctify the people, the congregation, assemble the others, ga elders, gather the children, 
let the bridegroom go forth and the bride out of her chamber sound the trumpet. Because you realize when Christ comes, it's no longer time to repent. It's all over. And Christ is coming to set at naught the glory of man and to place his glory on the throne for eternity, you know, the glory of God. And the glory of man that has defied him, he will level. He will do his strange work. And that image will be crushed. And everybody that has come under that image has made themselves part of that image, the image of the glory of the creature, as Paul talks about in Romans 1, and has not manifested the image of God and given place to the image of God, will be crushed. It's a solemn message. And that message is actually for Seventh-day Adventists for us today, to cry unto the Lord of God, because we have not sanctified ourselves in the way that God has called us to. We're losing it. I don't know how else to say it to you, but the message to Laodicea is true. We are blind. We think we're rich and increased with goods. But let's face it, we're not where we need to be. I know there's good things going on, but we're not where we need to be. We're not ready. And the Lord is pleading with us to be ready, to manifest his image. If we had manifested his image, we wouldn't be here. We're still here because we have not manifested the image of God and lighted the earth with the glory of God. He's waiting for his people to do so. I'll read you a quote here quickly, and then we'll move on to the, the PowerPoint we want to push for excellence. This is what you'll hear in the educational push. It's actually coming very strongly from the secular world. Excellence, excellence. And I believe in it. It's a good thing to have excellence. But let me read you something here. I'll need my glasses for this one. Where did I put them? <coughs> here they are. Okay. Excellence. In what consists the superior excellence of the systems of education? Is it in the classical literature which is crowded into our sons? Is it in the ornamental accomplishments which our daughters obtain at the sacrifice of health or mental strength? Is it in the fact that modern instruction is so generally separated from the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation? Does the chief excellence of popular education consist in treating the individual branches of study apart from the deeper investigation which involves the searching of the scriptures and a knowledge of God and the future life? Does it consist in imbuing the minds of the young with heathenish conceptions of liberty, morality, and justice? Is it safe to trust our youth to the guidance of those blind leaders who study the sacred oracles with far less interest than they manifest in the classical authors of ancient Greece and Rome. And she then quotes, this is from the Spirit of Prophecy, she then quotes, she says, um, education, remarks a writer, is becoming a system of seduction. Now hopefully from what I'm sharing with you, you can understand how there's a battle in our educational focus between the image of the creature and what they consider excellence, the image of the creature, what Satan seduced the race to believe about excellence, and what is the true excellence, which we only find in who? The person of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. All else is, as Paul says, rubbish. Do you think that Jesus asks you to add him to rubbish? You see, it's not that he's just going to supercharge our education, but he's going to turn it upside down, inside out, and replace it with a type of education that we may not even be familiar with in this world today. And it is an education that Paul learned about when in Romans 7 he said, All that I had learned, the letter of the law, my training as a great Pharisee, I found out that when I looked into my soul because the Holy Spirit showed it to me, I was wretched. And he said the religion by which I persecuted the church of God was wretched. Not only was it empty of God, it was diametrically opposed in principle to the principles of God. You know, Paul didn't become a converted Pharisee. He became a Christian, right? All right. He didn't just add Christ to, to that framework. It's a fallacy to say that we just add the person of Jesus 
to the excellence, and then we have the proper excellence. That's a misunderstanding. God took Paul into the wilderness and retaught him the scriptures in a way that he had never understood them before. And he realized what he had learned before was rubbish. And what was it he learned before? The Jews' basic error was the same as the error of the, of the, of the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Antediluvians. And it was this, that the image of God is contained in my humanity by itself. Same as pantheism, basically related. And this has been the lie of Satan from the... If you diverge from the word of God, God's lying to you. You'll still have the image of God. You'll still reach excellence. Why don't you try excellence my way, says Satan? Listen to your own conscience. Listen to your own way. I'm preaching. <laughs> but anyway... So this is the whole plan, and by the way, the media is very much involved in this, unbeknownst to itself. The battle we fight is not just to add Christ to the old wineskins, but to have new wineskins. The two image makers, there's a battle between the two artists in the universe, the artists of light and the artists of darkness. God has allowed him the time to try to prove his point, and he's failing. But he wants to take you down with him. We talked about the cosmos and how everything in God's creation teaches the gospel in one form or another. We need the word of God now as fallen creatures to understand it aright. The heavens declare, the Bible says, and that's a very true statement. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. And so, how is that so? How is that true? God made man in his image to reflect that glory just like the bodies of the universe reflect the glories of the, of the stellar bodies. There's a lesson there. We talked about how man was made a little lower than the angels and yet is crowned with glory and honor. You made him a little lower than the angels, Paul quotes in Hebrews, but he's referring to Jesus. and We'll see that in a minute. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels because he took the nature of man suffering death, crowned with glory and honor by the grace that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And we talked about how Christ has rescued the race by adopting humanity into himself and reconnecting it with the glory it was intended to show. It was Christ's work in Eden to be with Adam and Eve and to teach them how to more fully reflect God. When Satan stole Adam and Eve by deception, Christ said, Father, I'll give myself. We'll show our love. We're not going to abandon them. We're going to go there and I will give myself. Father, will you accept it? And the Father says, yes, it was hard for even the Father, the God of the, all the galaxies and universe. He said, yes, son, to give his son the thing he cherished most of all, but he loved us that much. And the son came to reintroduce the truth of the glory of God. He is the image, the Bible says, the express image of Jesus Christ. This is... Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's my son for you. He's uh, not just a chip of the old block. He's an improvement on the old block. Okay. Christ is the Alpha and Omega, Revelation says. Christ is the Alpha and Omega. That means that he is the first and the last. First letter of the Greek alphabet, last letter of the Greek alphabet. It was the prevalent language of the day, so it's not exalting Greek. It's exalting the principle behind the metaphor, which is Christ, the first and the last, the beginner and finisher of our faith. Always has been. Romans 1, he just came back to show us and let us know and also to rescue us. Romans 1 is a fascinating chapter to me as an artist involved in our education now for several years because it shows me the difference between true and false education. Romans 1, Paul brings in the concept of the truth and the lie. Here you have the lie. I hope I don't offend anybody, but honestly, I was raised Roman Catholic. What is the lie here? The lie is that you can manifest the perfect image of God while you are exalting yourself over everybody else and you are claiming the position of God on earth, right? That is the lie. I mean, that is the most clear representation of the lie. If you were to see Christ on earth, 
what would he be like lowly sitting on an ass? Here, the lie. Consciences of man are held in bondage, and uh, this power seeks to exalt itself to the place of the throne on high. But what I want to talk about here is how it got into religion, because originally, well, it got into religion with Cain, didn't it, when he brought the sacrifice, and he wanted to insert a little bit of his own way, and God said, no, I'm sorry, I can't accept that. That's the lie. Well, I think that you're a bit severe in throwing my parents out. I agree that I should worship you, but I want to worship you upon my terms. I think it's a little, you know, my reason should be considered. I have a say here, says Cain. And God says, Cain, I can't accept your sacrifice. He would not accept the fact that he needed redemption, that he was without Christ, wicked, and had no glory of his own. The serpent has brought this concept into Christianity, professed Christianity. He used an Eden in the Alpha Deception. Now, I talked about the Alpha and Omega, but do you know that there's an Alpha Deception and an Omega Deception? In fact, in our writings that the Lord has gifted us with to help us through these difficult times, the writer, Little Messenger, says, you know, there was an Alpha in Adventism, and there will be an Omega in Adventism, but there was an Alpha in the Garden of, of Apostasy, and there's an Alpha at the end of time in Apostasy. Okay? How did he bring in the alpha of deception, the lie that Romans 1 talks about? It says they change God into the glory of a creature, that, you know, uh, professing to be wise, they became fools, and they basically bought the lie that Satan had introduced through beauty, intellect, and appeal to spiritual aspiration to be like God. Is it, is it a, an evil thing to aspire to be like God? No, not in and of itself. In fact, the human race was made to desire to reflect and be like God. Did you know that? Now, like, not God. We're never God. But to be like him, to reflect him. That was placed in. And Satan was crafty enough in Eden to say, you know, if I said that to me, do you want to, uh, do you want to be unfortunate like me and lose everything? Do you think Eve would have been enticed? No. So he comes to her in a religious guise, and he says, you know, I'm also interested in being like God. I'm not going to ask you to uh, leave your religion aside. Uh, you know, in fact, I, I might even help you along the way. Be a good Seventh-day Adventist or a good Christian. But let me suggest some alterations in the plan of what God told you, right? So he uses the beauty of the serpent, the beauty of the fruit. He uses his intellect and creative intellect in learning how he could dialogue with her to keep her in the dark. And he appeals to her spiritual aspirations. Does the media do that today? I mean, I know not to watch the movies that are about bad things, but there, you know, there's a lot of movies that appeal to my spiritual aspirations to be like God. And, and they're very intellectual. And the, ah, the artist that put that film together was so creative and it's so beautiful. And the thoughts are so elevating in certain parts. But it's woven together into the knowledge of the tree. Well, it's basically knowledge of good and evil. There's a, there's a lie in there, I can guarantee you. The lie in there is, are they going to tell you that you must follow the commandments of God or are you going to be lost? Did they tell you that in the movies? Have you found that lately? Have they told you that Christ is coming back soon and that all who do not yield to explicit obedience to all of his commands that they know that they'll be lost? When's the last time you heard that in Hollywood? Not too often. But they'll tell you, you know, we all need to be better people. And we need to be good. <laughs> like on Star Trek, you know, we need to go through the universe helping people out. And like James Bond, you know, he's a good guy, right? He sleeps around. He shoots people in cold blood. I said to my students, you know, James Bond is a wretch. But he's set up to be the good guy. And you like him because it's appealing to your carnal nature. And you think he's a good guy. And you know, oh, he's cool. You know, I often wonder if we could define that word. It probably wouldn't be enough words in the, in the lexicon to define it. But cool usually means it reverberates with my passion, my nature. It's cool. It reverberates. I don't have to examine it. I just, it's just cool. I'd like to ask you, cool to what part of your nature? Is it cool to the law of God? Anyway. So he appeals to the spiritual aspirations to be like God, and he even puts in some good motives in some of those movies, like 
Disney and the family values, you know. Disney wants to team up with us Adventists now. Did you know that? Uh, but I ask you the question, and the homosexual agenda and many other things that Disney's involved in, is, is Disney really accepting the truth and wants to team up with the truth? Do they want us to give the three angels' message in its pure, undiluted form? Oh, they want us to preach virtue over vice. But they use the beauty, the intellect, and the appeal to spiritual aspiration. But they're not wanting to sell you or give you Jesus Christ. At least not the Christ of Scripture, okay? Don't be fooled. God is not mocked. Romans 1, because that when they knew God... So man doesn't have an excuse. God was revealed to man in nature and in the prophets from the very beginning. They glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in what? Their imagination. Oh, but imagination, that's the image of God in man. To use his imagination is to be like God. Don't curtail his imagination. They became vain in their imaginations. Okay? Professing themselves to be wise, the Greeks were pursuing after knowledge and philosophy, they became fools. Why? Because they didn't fall in love with the righteousness of God. They fell in love with the position of God and wanted it, just like Satan did. Satan hated the righteousness of God. Because if he had the righteousness of God, he wouldn't have sought to take his position. It wouldn't have led him to that in his nature. And, you know, Philippians 2, I have to inject that here. We're given the picture of God. What would God be like if he was a man? Humble himself unto obedience, even unto death. Took the cross. You know what you're finding out there in Philippians 2? What God is really like. You see him in all that glory. You don't always get the picture of what he's really like inside, internally. So he comes into the creature and he shows as a creature what he's really like for us. So we can know that he's not about being powerful over us and lording it over us. But this is what I'm like. If you want to be like me, this is where you look, not to the great domination and the great power to exercise over others. But that was what Greek thought was the image of God, right? And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I'm so glad we don't do that today. I'm so glad we don't worship idols, right? We don't carve things out of wood and worship them. But we have the tabloids that we worship. And we have the, uh, the images of the creature. This actress that I think is really cool, you know. Or James Bond is really cool, you know. What are we worshiping? We're worshiping the image of the creature deformed and not in God's image. We're insulting the Holy Spirit. So, whoops, I wanted to bring that fella in there. Would you like to confess your sins to this God? Does he look friendly? But this is how they depicted the God of love or their view of God. Okay? Uh, or maybe with an eagle head. <laughs> the Egyptians leading the human into the afterlife. Death was not really death. It was actually the gateway to life, right? And the artists were involved in Getting this gospel out. Are the artists involved today in getting a similar gospel out? Yeah. We don't need to be as Christian artists. We need to make a difference. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? This is what Jesus said to the religious leaders. Isn't that an interesting statement? How can you receive honor? Believe, sorry. How can ye believe, thanks, Lee, which receive honor one of another? We need to break this down a little bit. What does that mean? It means that if you are receiving honor one of another, if you're looking towards human glory, exalting human glory, competing for human glory, it's a blind spot that you're creating where you're not going to understand me. In our institutions of learning, in our entertainment, if we're worshiping that, we're not going, we can talk all we want about being religious and having Jesus and adding Jesus. But if that's what we're doing, we're accepting an image into our soul that rebels against the image of God. And it doesn't like it. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus. You know why? Because he stole their human glory. They weren't willing to give it up. They had fallen in love. They were intoxicated. Judaism had fallen into the image of the creature. It wasn't created that way. It wasn't made that way. But that's what it became. Jesus said, you can't 
believe in me because you believe so hard and fast upon the glory of the creature. It's all about this guy got his, you know, he got his education and he got his education. He's so scholarly and so brilliant. And, you know, the, the disease of the Jews was to whatever the rabbi says, the rabbi's interpretation of scripture. And to this day, even among some of the Messi Messianic faith, I found the same thing to be true. Messianic faith are those who accept Jesus that are Jews. But there's still a tendency. Well, you have to have the Hebrew to understand anything in the Bible. The Greek is adulterated, you know. You have this same basic mistake that, well, it has to be this chosen people that usher in Christ, you know, this line of Abraham that usher in Christ. And you guys need to come into our line, right? It was the exaltation of the flesh, of the human. Christ said, until you understand that that is in the way of me, you're not going to be able to believe in me. Again, we see it in the Christian era. Same thing happens. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another? Is this guy receiving honor? Uh, that's probably solid gold, I'd imagine. And, you know, I mean, look at the clothes and everything about it reeks of the honor of man. It's not God's way. It's pompous. Sorry. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Why? Because both the Jews and the Greeks look to a system of human honor to reach the image of God. And Christ said, you have to come to the cross. You have to lay your human glory in the dust. It's not in you. You're miserable, wretched, blind, poor, naked. I am your glory. Okay? But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, I'm not against the Jews, I'm not against the Greeks. There are going to be a lot of them in heaven, thank God, because they received the glory of the cross. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For you see your calling, brethren, how that man, not many wise men after the flesh. Now, what would they be, wise men after the flesh? Can you tell me? The scholars of the day, the great Greek philosophers, the great uh, rabbinical philosophers, you know, uh, and whatever other nations were exalted in that way. Not many of them became Christians. You know why? Because of what we just read. They were addicted to the honor that man receives. Not many noble are called, many of the wealthy. Let me read this. Through those that have a form of godliness but know not the power, we can gain many who would otherwise do us great harm. You know who wrote this? I mean, who, who said this? The enemy of souls said it. Sister White yeah, records the conversation. That's what you meant. Sister White records this in the fourth, fourth, fourth volume of the Spirit of Prophecy, the old four-volume set, Snares of Satan. I think it's also in the original Great Controversy or something. But anyway, Through those that have a form of godliness but know not the power, we can gain many who would otherwise do us great harm. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God will be our most effective helpers. Those of this class who are apt and intelligent will serve as decoys to draw others into our snares. Many will not fear their influence because they profess the same faith. We will thus lead them to conclude that the requirements of Christ are less strict than they once believed, and that by conformity to the world, where have you heard this before? By conformity to the world, they would exert a greater influence with whirlings. By watching the trash, by intellectually engaging with the uh, philosophies of the world, we can show ourselves greatly learned and reason those poor people into our Christianity. What's your Christianity then? It's gone all the way over into the world and all you're doing is going around in a circle. You might make them profess Christians like yourself and you might have great baptisms and great success, but you've left the cross, you see? So there's a great danger. Now this, you know who, who Satan is talking of here? God's people. In, in the dialogue, first he starts talking about the, the people in the other churches, but then he says, but the sect of Sabbath keepers, this is my plan for them. Okay. Until the great, great decisive blow shall be struck, our efforts against commandment keepers must be untiring. We must be present at all their gatherings and their large meetings, especially will our cause suffer much. Good reason to be at our large meetings, right? <laughs> and we must exercise great vigilance and employ all our seductive arts to prevent souls from hearing the truth and becoming impressed by it. 
I can say a lot about that truth because it was once proclaimed to us in very clear tones, twice, 1844 and in the 1890s. I started with 1888, but there was a great truth proclaimed that the sister, uh, sister wife, the messenger of the Lord said would have ushered in the coming of Christ if he had embraced it. I will have upon the ground as my agents men holding false doctrines mingled with just enough truth to deceive souls. I will also have unbelieving ones present who will express doubts in regards to the Lord's messages of warning to his church. Now, what does that refer to? That term, messages of warning, that was her job, to give those messages of warning. They'll express doubts in regard. They might not say, I don't value. They might say, oh, I love the spirit of prophecy. Oh, I love it. But to quote one of our great exalted men, he said, but I don't entirely disagree. What does that mean? In writing on a book on the end times, one of our esteemed authors says, well, I know that the point is made that if we had have done what Christ said, he would have come back to now, before now. And he says, I don't entirely disagree. Well, how much do you disagree? And for me, that's a big problem that you disagree. All right. I thought the Lord gave these messages to us. Anyway, what was the alpha lie? Satan seduced man into the creature desire focus. He led Eve to believe the lie that her potential lay in her creature nature and not in God alone. He led Adam to forsake his supreme worship and trust of God and instead to worship the creature by giving Eve ascendancy over God. Now, God didn't ask Adam not to love Eve. If Adam had loved Eve after the manner of Christ, what would he have offered to do for Eve? Join her in sin? Is that what Christ did for you? I've heard that suggested. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a wise understanding, but in a periodical, actually. But, but he would have, I believe, the nature of Christ in him would have offered Father, take me. Let me display my love to Eve to try to win her back. If I can give my life. That's what Moses did for the people of God. Moses was manifesting. It wasn't the power and greatness of Moses, though. He had been crushed under the love of God to the point that he yielded, and now he manifests the nature of Christ in that trial. And God was showing the universe, I can bring sinful man back to manifest the glory of my son, of my love. And Moses in that was successful. He yielded after God brought him through the fiery trial, you know. And so anyway, here we have the alpha of apostasy injected into man from Satan. It was Satan's rebellion, but he fooled man into carrying it within his bosom as well. Now here's something I want you to catch. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, many Adventists are confused about what constitutes spiritualism. When you say spiritualism, they think of the crystal ball or the lady with the big nose and a wart or somebody, you know, in the new age channeling the powers. And that's all part of spiritualism. But you, I will define spiritualism uh, for you in a much more revealing way, hopefully. When Eve believed Satan's lie, she believed a spiritualistic doctrine that she could disobey God and still be in his kingdom, still be part of a citizen of heaven. God said, there's no citizenship in my kingdom without obedience. And she believed the spiritualistic lie that she could retain her closeness to God while sinning against him. That was spiritualism right there. So spiritualism is simply believing that you can be close to God while you're breaking his commandments. That's it in its nucleus, okay? So that's all Satan has to do to bring spiritualism into the church. Do you think he's been doing it? He's been working on it, but God is going to triumph. I believe in the remnant church. But don't think that we're not hit hard by this. Spiritualism, it's all contained in the creature being enamored with its own glory. That's it. That's spiritualism. Okay? Cain was a spiritualist when he did not bring the correct attitude and the correct sacrifice. That was spiritualism. He believed in himself. All you have to do is believe in yourself above God to be a spiritualist. With Cain, we have the Alpha of Apostasy manifest. He has all the outward ritual of God's religion. He actually brought a specified worship that was required, but he failed to bring what God required at that point in time, which was a repentant offering, an offering that acknowledged his sinfulness. That's what he didn't want to do. 
He has all the outward ritual of God's religion, but where the heart endeavors to wed the glory of the creature with the glory of God, you have spiritualism and you have pantheism right there. So now I'm talking in a while about the Omega. We're getting there. But pantheism was involved in Eden. Do you see how? How? Tell me. How, this is what teachers are supposed to do, ask questions, see if you're listening. How is pantheism involved in the alpha of apostasy in the beginning? Yeah, you can have an independent track to God without following his commandments. That's spiritualism. That's pantheism. You got it right there. Okay, that'll help us in understanding the omega of apostasy. What is the alpha of apostasy manifest in the Advent people? You've heard of John Harvey Kellogg? And John Harvey, yeah, the serial guy. In fact, I have a picture somewhere of the cornflakes. But anyway, the alpha of apostasy. Now, he got into what was popular in the medical world of the day. They were looking at alternate medicine. Up to that point, their practices in medicine were appalling. They were killing people. You went to the doctor to die. They'd stick leeches on you. They'd give you poisons. They'd tell you to smoke cigarettes. They'd, you know, it was, it was shameful, but we didn't really know what we were doing. And uh, partly from diverging from the word of God, but, but the science of man was foolishness, and we were killing people. Uh, one of our presidents died probably quicker than he would have because of doctor's treatments. And so the alpha of apostasy, however, was Kellogg looked into this new wave in medicine, and part of it was hypnotism. And the other thing was what? What was the other part? Well, the living temple. What was the, the lie that he bought into? God is in the tree. God is everywhere. God is you. He's in you. And so, you know, this conscious, God consciousness will heal you mind, soul, and body. And it was very popular in American medicine in certain echelons of American medicine, as hypnotism was. Ellen White wrote, actually for decades before that, warning Adventist doctors to disassociate with the hypnotism they were trying to get into because it would improve their practice and it seemed to be doing great things and people seemed to be being healed by it, okay? And so, oftentimes we get lost, however, in the specific nature of of Kellogg's apostasy because he bought into the New Age idea. It wasn't called New Age then, but he bought into the New Age idea of God being in everything. But now think back to the Alpha apostasy. The devil knows that we were alerted to Kellogg's mistake. So when a preacher gets up and he says, God is in the tree, you know, I mean, he's not going to fool a whole lot of Adventists right now. Well, if they're watching enough stupid stuff, they might be fooled, but you know, <laughs> killing their minds with all sorts of junk they might. But generally, I don't think most Adventists would buy that one. So do you think that's how he's going to bring in the Omega apostasy? No, no. What does he have to do to make you a spiritualist and a pantheist? He doesn't have to bring it in that form. He can bring it in a myriad of other ways. God in the heart of the sinner. Now, let's look at it more closely. Kellogg was a man of great intellect, a great inventor, a great businessman, great doctor, presented the offering of Cain to God. That was the last part. So he had all these great excellencies, but he wasn't accepted of God because he presented the offering of Cain. The counsel of God was, do not keep the undiluted three angels' message from the medical work. It's to go hand in hand with it. The work of the ministers and the work of the healing ministry is not to be separated. Well, you know, you get some big business counselors in there and they say, you know, you guys could really go a long way if you just sort of diluted that thing about Babylon in there. You know, that's going to offend some people in this postmodern world. Why don't we play that down and we'll just talk about living good lives, not smoking, not drinking, doing nice things, right? Being a good veggie person, all of those things. And, and you know, we'll be really successful together. I mean, Disney might even help us in that walk, right? Disney might help us there. As long as we don't proclaim that offensive three angels message and think of ourselves as having light that other people don't have and that sort of thing, you know. So you understand that the omega of apostasy can come simply by our institutions manifesting the wrong view of the image of God. It can come through thinking that we can continue sinning against God and still be saved. It can come through any manner, uh, through the medical institutions, not really upholding the undiluted message of the three angels message. 
I mean, pantheism and spiritualism can come in many different ways. It can come in through sports culture. What? Sports culture? Yeah. You believe that you can become more like God by trouncing your opponent? Uh, does God's commandments support that? Let's see. I don't think so. So I believe that I'm still manifesting the image of God while I am imbuing the spirit of rivalry against my brother. Well, once I, once I weaken one of the commandments and one of the counsels of God, all the rest start falling with it. And, I mean, you just lose your defense. And so the omega of apostasy can come into any manner of ways. And it's basically what the alpha was. It's believing the lie of the enemy against the commandment of God. He wanted to soften the trainer's message to accommodate popular spiritualistic concepts. You couldn't preach about Babylon if God was in Babylon, you know. It's sort of hard. If God was in everything, he was in Babylon too. So in the health movements of the day, there was a great interest in developing an alternative medicines and spiritualistic theories such as hypnosis and mind healing. And we already talked about that, so I'll move on. So the messenger of God warned the omega, that the Omega would shortly come to pass. Satan is a crafty foe. He knows what we are all uh, alerted to, so he modifies his approach. The servant of the Lord wrote a quote where she said, the Omega will shortly come to pass, and then she wrote in another place, I think it was, they will go into the cities and do a great work. Books of a new order would be written, right? And they would preach virtue better than vice. Well, how could it be bad if they're preaching virtue better than vice? They would not dwell upon God's judgment of sin, the judgment hour message, the fall of Babylon. They would not reveal the corruption of the papacy and that the Protestants were reaching a hand across the gulf. They would want to pull back from all that and just talk about the nice things about Jesus, you know. Well, I think it's a nice thing about Jesus to warn us about the deceptions of the enemy. That his love, you, you know, it creates an amphitheater for his love that he's saying, come out of her, my people, so that I may lavish you with my, come out from among the association with Satan's wiles so that I can protect you. Come under my wings. Don't stay there. That's the love of God in that message. The preaching of the fall of Babylon is a message of love to those whom he wants to rescue from Babylon. So you can't say it's not, it's, it's love to avoid it. Anyway, he comes to see his will as God's. That's what happens in the creature that falls away from God. He comes to believe that God is in the heart of his sin. That's really pantheism. When a person believes a lie of Satan, this is what happens. He comes to see his will as God's. Isn't that what Cain saw? It should be, my will should be equal with yours. The corrupted media and educational avenues have already accepted the Omega lie. You know, we look at the secular institutions. Now the blinded Christian, having lost the sermon, sees the lie as truth also. The external forms remain, virtue over vice, but the bottom line truth that reveals the sin of spiritual Babylon, they cannot proclaim. And what's the sin of spiritual Babylon? Spiritual Babylon referring to the fallen churches. It's the glory of the creature. I can have my sin... And I can have God at the same time. I can watch this stuff that's contrary to God's nature. And I can still be like God as long as I still have a relationship with him. What does that mean? You can continue to have a relationship with God while you sin. Yes, a very bad relationship. <laughs> that will lead to a divorce, right? So it's not, it's not always relationship, undefined relationship that's the solution we need a defined relationship and that relationship is a relationship of, is of, of obedience that Eve needed she continued to have a relationship of sorts a dysfunctional relationship and she needed rescue from God so I believe relationship is the answer don't get me wrong we need a relationship with Christ but we need a faithful relationship it's the only one that's going to save the soul Christ is the only one who can save the soul in that relationship so in our educational, medical, and social institutions, we will begin to see no wrong in partnershiping with these agencies. Now, this is already happening, guys. I, I'm sorry I have to present this, but it's true. We're already going through this struggle. In our educational, medical, and social institutions, we will begin to see no wrong in partnershiping with these agencies. I'm talking about the agencies of the world. They profess virtue over vice just like us. What's the big deal? You know? They profess a belief in pursuing excellence just like us. Oh, what's the big deal? And even 
are tolerant of the name of Jesus and the profession of faith. You know that Satan, up to now, has invested much time in getting people to not believe in God and not believe in the fallen angel, that the fallen angels exist. You know that, according to Scripture, he's going to change all that? Because before Christ returns, he flips it. And now he wants you to believe in Jesus and he wants you to believe in God, and he wants you to be religious, and he wants the whole world to become religious. Why? Because he's about to bring in the false Christianity, and all of a sudden, he's ready to let evolution have the rug pulled out from under it, and all these people are like, whoa, my base is gone. I've got to find something to believe in now. And guess what? A revival, uh, an unholy revival is about to take place in this world, and is taking place. Okay? So it is true Christ, uh, sorry, the Antichrist sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, that the final deception comes. It's not through atheism. It's not through communism. It's through the false profession of Christianity that he seeks to deceive the world. Our view of the image of God is much like theirs. This is what happens when we drift, when we lose our focus in Adventism. We lose the distinctive features of the image of God, and what's left is the externals. Remember, if you were in my earlier seminars, when we just have the externals, we start looking like everybody else and we don't know what the big deal is anymore. They seem pretty good people. Okay? The perfecting of external skills. We want our big institutions to be like their big institutions. We want a partnership with them. The theater, the sports arena, the academic honors, the medicine fraught with human wisdom, big business wisdom, baptized entertainment industry, all this is seen as compatible with the latest in calling. Is this happening? You know, we were told to stay away from the sports arena because the spirit that was manifested there is not the spirit of Christ. We were told to stay away from the theater. Do you know why? When Jesus said, ye hypocrites, you know what he was actually saying? You actors. You know why God hates acting? It's not true. When he said to Eve, don't eat of the tree, he wasn't acting. When Lucifer said, you'll be like gods, he was acting. He's the first actor, a very good one, very good actor. Now, I don't want to offend people. I understand that there's a place when little kids do a skit or, you know, you want to show something and the prophets sometimes did things to, to make a metaphor of a truth. But I'm talking about deceptive, the deceptive acting that manipulates the emotions. If I got up here and I was just acting this out and I didn't really believe it, it would be disgusting. I believe it because I almost lost my soul by going against it once. And I believe God has called me to preach this. So, you know, the sports, the theater, the academic honors, the medicine fraught with human wisdom, the big business wisdom, baptized entertainment industry, they're not about the three angels' message. All this is seen as compatible with the latest. I don't see what's wrong with that. I, you know, I, we can work. I, let me give you one example. Maybe I'll reveal too much. but I'm not trying to be critical. But there's a time when the scripture says, spare not cry aloud. Where I worked as an art instructor, once we had an ad up for jobs working for the program called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Looking for students for jobs, you know, film students to, to uh, work on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. What's Buffy the Vampire Slayer about? Is there something about the Three Angels message there? Is there anything incompatible comparison to what we're supposed to be? And I took it. You know, I said, look, we can't have this up on our wall. Well, you know, they could be an influence for good. Oh, uh, you know, they, 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 well, well, yeah. <laughs> so I think they took it down. But, you know, we're losing our discernment. We can't have fellowship with the world and fellowship with Christ. It just doesn't work. So anyway, but God sees the offering as a sacrifice of Cain when we think that we can partnership with those who are not believing in the three message. Behold, says the prophet of God, what is this bleeding of the sheep? To obey is better than sacrifice. To hearken than the fat of rams. You understand what God's saying? It's the same. He's dealing with the alpha apostasy right there. He says, don't fall for this idea that the image of God is in how much you sacrifice for me. How great things you can do and how many movies you can partnership with with this great institution called Disney. He says, look, I've asked for obedience, not that type of sacrifice, not that type of great accomplishment in the eyes of the world. You know, you don't have to partnership with the great guys in the world 
to try to get your message out. Don't you believe in me? How does this relate to the arts? External glories of the creature that defy the central core of God's character. The stage, the gallery, the graduation hall, the seminary, the hospital, all incubate the lie and the loud cry cannot be given in its divine manner. I'm saying that that's what we have done oftentimes. The image of the creature has sought to sit in the temple of God, showing itself that it is God. You believe Christ is coming soon? Amen. You believe his church is going to triumph? Amen. If we're faithful, we will triumph. And we've been told the little visionary saw the ship meeting the iceberg and said, meet it. There's a big iceberg. We've got to meet it. We've got to object when we see anybody partnershipping with an entity that cannot support what Christ stands for. Now, we've got to love those people, we've got to work for those people, and we've got to not cut ourselves off from those people, but we can't partnership. That's what Kellogg was trying to do. And Ellen White said, this will bring in an order of things where we will be very popular, we'll be esteemed, we'll do great work, we'll write books of a new order, and God will say, I do not know you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, because you have not obeyed, I hear a bleeding of the sheep. God's people will triumph, but we have to be sure that we follow the Lord's specific warnings and specific counsels. And, you know, our infatuation with the theatrics, our infatuation with the honors and the positions of men, it's got to be turned upside down. And God will do it. If we don't do it, it's going to be a terrible ordeal. If we don't ourselves cry out to God and say, God, have mercy on us. Show us your way. We have not followed it. God's going to do it himself. And he will turn things upside down in a way that will be a terrible ordeal. We've got to be preparing our hearts. Um, what else can I say? I guess my time's up. Um, they probably throw me out, but I, I want to be here for questions. I guess if, if I have to go outside, I'll be out there. Uh, and Anthony, too, probably, if you have any questions. You know, you might have heard in, in my passion to state the truth, you might have misheard or misunderstood me. I might have misstated something. And so I want to give you an opportunity to, hey, what do you mean by saying that or this, you know? Um, so I want to be there to pray with you and talk with you. But time is short. And uh, we need to be following God's way and manifesting his image and giving glory to his way. So let's uh, bow the knee and close with prayer. Oh, precious Father. Father, forgive me if I have in any way misrepresented you in my human imperfection. But I do believe your words and your message and that what is presented here is your truth. Help us, Lord, to live according to your manner, strictly only what you have said and what you want us to do. Help us not make the mistake of, of Saul and thinking that in adding 10%, 5%, or even 1% of our modifications on your requirement that it will not mean death. Help us to realize it will mean death for us because you only, the only safety we have is in following every word from your mouth. As you demonstrated in Eden, so it will be true at the end of time. Lord, the forces of the, of the evil one are marshalling right now to keep the Adventist people in a stupor, to entertain them just as the citizens of Rome were entertained and not realizing the corruption that was coming upon them. Help us to realize and wake up. And I thank you, Lord, for our new conference president, and for his focus and his desire to adhere to the truth of God, be with him and other men, draw them to his side to help our church meet the iceberg and to triumph in the glory which is only yours by being vessels of yours, unwilling to taste the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Lord, if there's any souls here who are impressed 
with the truth. I pray, Lord, that they will make a deeper commitment to you and protect themselves from the inroads of the enemy's sophistries. I pray for new commitments and for your church, Lord, to triumph and manifest the glory that is yours alone. We know the earth will be lighted with that glory, but it must come through the obedience of a people. Help us be ready. Help us not delay your coming any longer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A friend of mine has put together a beautiful little uh, slideshow here, for those of you that want to hang on for a minute, on one of our early pioneers' hymns, very, very beautiful thoughts. No one can ever reach that eternal rest who hath not forward with strong vigor pressed. No one can ever reach that shining goal unless he forward press with heart and soul. His urgent strife must last until the end. On this alone our hopes must all depend. Narrow, the gate is called, the way named small. But grace and choice are free for one and all. But all depends on pressing, pressing on. By that alone the haven can be won. Make strong, yea, strong resistance, O my soul, to all that comes between thee and thy goal. Against every hindrance fight, stand firm, stand steady. For those who forward press, the crown is ready. If you the joys of heaven would ever taste, press forward past each hindrance. Be in haste. Leave, leave, oh leave the wiles of all the world, thy banner of resistance still unfurled. When the world calls thee, come and with us go. Do not obey that pathway leads to woe. What the world asks, refuse at any cost. If you comply, dear soul, you will be lost. For love of Christ, I offer this advice. Strive in God's strength. This is the crown's own price. To every hindrance, make resistance strong. The crown is worth the strife, however long. The heaven of glory is worth all thy life, with all thy praying, longing, all thy strife. No disappointment in that realm can live. The crown is worth all longing thou canst give. Therefore, wake up and sharply look around. Make ready for the judgment's trumpet sound. For wedding garment, pure and white and whole, will be required of every suppliant soul who seeks an entrance to that city fair. Therefore, awaken and thyself prepare. You cannot anchor on that heavenly shore, nor enter in that land prepared before, unless you have the offered life of faith. For this the scripture very plainly saith, Tis faith alone that can the sinner save, and ransom you from out the cruel grave. Then listen, dear, and rise from thy sad fall, God's grace abundant is, and free for all. Believe, repent, and hear the Savior say, in words of beauty, This, this is the way. The world is all invited, let all come, and take by force a crown within that home. The Lord is willing, anxious to bestow this gift on all who in his way will go. Spare not thyself the struggle, but press on, and soon, full soon, the victory will be won. God's hand doth seek thy soul, he'll give thee rest. Jesus is knocking, seeking for thy best. Wake, tis God's spirit that disturbs thy sleep. They only will be saved who vigils keep.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.